0: Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Uh, Good morning, everybody. How's everybody in St. Joe today? Good. It's so good to see Miss Pam again. He gave me a banana. Yes. That's an old story. Years ago, see, that would have been uh, an anniversary when all the Ramus singers and band were here, or was it a dedication? I think it was an anniversary. All the Ramus singers and band were here in their big bus, and they all got this nice little basket of fruit and stuff, you know, and that type of thing. And Pastor Larry just felt so bad because he forgot to get me when I was the guest speaker. And um, he was just, you know, I didn't care. I don't need, you know, definitely I'm well fed. But um, uh, he just felt so bad that he did not get me a gift basket. So when he introduced me that morning, he handed me a banana, you know, in front of the whole congregation. I've still got a, well, I've got a picture of that from years later that's really a a dear, dear memory because Pastor Larry was a dear friend. And um, so yesterday, when Pastor Scott picked me up at the airport, he had a banana for me and uh, so i uh, I ate that banana. It was a delicious banana. Thank you very much i feel i feel, you grew it yourself i feel I feel very loved and cared for. what hospitality thank you um, it just this church uh, means so much to us we've we've been uh, privileged to be in relationship with you through initially through uh, Pastor Larry and Pam and now through through Pastor Scott. We uh, just can't thank you enough. For, we've been doing what we've been doing for 21 years. Uh, I was on staff at Rama for 18 years before that, another church before that, but we've been traveling full-time uh, for the last 21 plus years. And I think you guys jumped on board helping us right from the get-go. So I want to take a couple minutes and share with you just a little bit about what we've been privileged to do uh, with the Lord's help and with your help and others who have chipped in and just made what we've been doing uh, possible. Let me show you some pictures if I could. First picture uh, is of, um, uh, well, that's not the one I want to the me, that's boring. But here's an exciting one. This is... um, the, the countries that we've been able to preach in over the years, uh, some of these countries we've been in seven, eight times, a few, just one or two, but several, three, four, five. Um, and uh, we love what we're doing. We're getting ready to head to Turkey this Thursday. Thursday morning, we'll leave our home in the States and head to the nation of Turkey. That'll be our ninth time there. Um, preach there. Uh, we'll also be preaching in uh, Beirut, Lebanon, and uh, a place in Egypt as well. That'll be a 19-day trip uh, that we have coming up. And uh, so the, uh, the, what I want to show you next is a picture of the books that we've been uh, blessed to be able to share over the years. The center stack are the books that we have in English. All of those are here today, if any of those are of interest to you. But what really blesses us is the stacks on the left and the right Uh, Those are the books that have been translated into the different languages that you see listed there. Uh, When we show up in Turkey, they're going to be releasing uh, uh, our book "In Search of Timothy" into the Turkish language. It's our first book in that in that particular language. Turkey has about 86 million people, and they believe maybe six to seven thousand are Christian, born again Christian. And so publishers typically aren't real interested in doing books, or there's just not that many people to buy the books. Uh, but this was not a for profit endeavor, uh, but we want to help equip and train the pastors that are there. Um, there will be missionaries there coming in from Iran and iraq and and Syria and all different places throughout the Middle East so we're very pumped and excited about that. A lot of people don't love to read books Uh, so we have done something here recently and that is producing audio books. That's our next slide. Um, I used to think I don't want to listen to a book I want to read it and I still absolutely love reading books but I've learned that you can love listening to books too so uh, we've produced eight of those on Audible.com, and uh, just just very pumped about that. But I want to show you some of the pictures of some of the ministry that we've been able to do in recent years. Our next slide: um, this is in Egypt a couple of years ago. These are four of our books that went into the Arabic language. Uh, I know at that initial batch, we uh, twenty-one thousand. Arabic books went across the Middle East and and northern Africa. Just recently another 10,000 of one title uh, went into one particular nation that they're targeting for evangelism and outreach. At that particular night uh, when that was released, that picture was taken in Cairo, Egypt, and it looks like we're just in an office building. We're actually on a boat in the Nile River. They rented a boat and they had, the next picture shows the 60, some of the 60 pastors that were there to receive books for free and, you know, got to sign books and things of that nature. That was a lot of fun. Uh, the next picture is going to take us to um, that's a, uh, an Iraqi pastor, a Kurdish pastor who was getting one of our books. Uh, and that was a missionary on the right who sent me that picture in Arabic the uh, next slide is going to take us to Beirut, Lebanon. How many of you remember a couple of years ago when they had that massive explosion in the harbor, in the port? Uh, This particular church, I was not there at that time, this is before that, uh, but the particular church that I'm preaching in right there had all the windows blown out uh, from that, and they had I don't think they had much structural damage, but they had a lot of cosmetic damage and that's all been repaired. But that was preaching in Beirut. That's one of the places we'll be on this upcoming trip. And then the next picture is going to be just, that was praying for some of the young men uh, there in Beirut. Um, You know, just after the preaching, having a time to pray uh, for people. I I don't, I'm assuming that was people giving their lives to Jesus. I don't, don't actually remember, but what I'm, what I'm wanting to say thank you for is that because you've given faithfully to Living Word Family Church. I know Pastor Scott has his dad's sense of humor, and so when he said that, you know, the church offering, we want to be the big one, yes, you do. I know you were joking when you said that, but the best thing you can do uh, to support the work of missions worldwide is to give strongly to your local church. And uh, thank God for churches that are strong financially, that then can channel, you know, certain funds. Of course, you have to take care of the house first. You know, the, the local church needs to be strong. So thank you to everybody that tithes and gives generously to the local church. That's the, really the most important thing that you can do. And then churches that are blessed have overflow to be able to share uh, with other people doing other kinds of work. So uh, that's just my thank you. I uh, can't tell you how much we appreciate uh, what you've done for us over, it's, I think it's been 21 years uh, that you've been helping us every single month uh, do what we've been doing. So I'm going to share with you today a message. It's actually from our newest book. Uh, the name of the book is called The End of Spectator Church. The End of Spectator Church. I write that as a very experienced spectator. Uh, going back to my childhood days, I, I was raised in next state over in Indiana, North Central Indiana, and I always enjoyed talking to your dad because he was as frustrated with Illinois basketball as I was with Indiana basketball. I grew up a big Hoosier fan. And of course, Pastor Larry's a big Illini fan. And so every basketball season, we would get together and bellyache and complain. And, you know, unless it was a really good year, then, you know, we'd have something else to do. But we had more years of complaining than anything else. And uh, so we always enjoyed, you know, talking and commiserating and you know, that type of thing. But um, I grew up in north central Indiana. And I want you to understand, I'm not me- I don't mean one single negative thing uh, toward anybody, any church, any organization, whatever. But I grew up in a mainline, traditional, denominational type of church. It was very formal, uh, very kind of ritualistic. And, and I want you to know there's elements about my upbringing that I am tremendously thankful for. I'm thankful that I learned the Ten Commandments. How many of you think the Ten Commandments are awesome? How many of you want your neighbor to think the Ten Commandments are awesome? I kind of want my neighbor to think, you know, that he's probably not supposed to kill, steal, you know, all that kind of thing. How many of you know the world would be a lot better place if everybody embraced the Ten Commandments? Okay. Now people sometimes say, well, you can't be saved by the Ten Commandments. No, we have to be saved by faith in Jesus. I get that. But, but just as a standard for human con- conduct and things like that, the Ten Commandments are pretty awesome. I'm thankful I learned the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I'm thankful I learned the Sermon on the Mount. I'm thankful that I learned the, uh, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, To this day, I embrace and appreciate all those uh, truths uh, that I learned as a child growing up in a mainline traditional denominational type of church. Uh, There there was a certain mindset that I had. Um, I I grew up in a Protestant church. uh, So this next picture I want to show you is kind of uh, different because these, these three gentlemen here you know, the first, the gentleman on the left would be an Episcopalian priest. Uh, the gentleman in the middle would be a Catholic priest. The gentleman on the right would be an Eastern Orthodox priest. That would be the, you know, the the Christian faith that came out of uh, the Eastern end of the Roman Empire, uh, Constantinople and so on. And um, But all these gentlemen in their respective faith traditions would be called a priest. Now, we didn't have a priest in my denomination growing up. We had a pastor. But in my mind, I still pictured my pastor as kind of being a priest. When you go back to the idea of a priest, and you know, if any of you were raised Catholic, you, know, you hear the term the pontiff. How many of you have heard that term, the pontiff? Uh, that word pontiff, it's where we get our word pontoon, uh, it, like a boat, or, or not a boat, we call it a pontoon boat, but originally it was a, a bridge, and a priest is someone who is a go-between, they're an intermediary. And um, so, you know, and, and as I've studied and learned, I found that every religion of the world whether it's a, a religion that kind of was originally in in what we call divine revelation, or one that was just formed with human uh, religious ideas, there's always this idea of separation. Whether it's a, a you know a Christian tradition, or or whether it's a, a Hindu priest, or a Buddhist priest, or a In primal religions, you have what are called um, uh, shamans or medicine men or witch doctors. There always has to be some bridge person to go between whatever the deity is and whatever the common people are. are. Are you with me? So you've got the common people. You've got the deity, the God or whatever however they define that. And then you've got this person in the middle who has to be the bridge or the go-between. So even though I was raised in a mainline traditional denominational church and we didn't have a priest, we had a pastor. Still, I saw my pastor as a priest. Are, Are you with me on that? In other words, he was an insider. He was the bridge. I was the commoner. I was the outsider. And I just assumed that, well, he must have some kind of secret knowledge or, you know, I I didn't know that as a commoner that I could have a relationship with God. I knew that I could do rituals. I knew that I could, you know, read the things on the bulletin that I was supposed to read, the responsive readings and things like that. But really, I was a spectator. Are, Are you with me? I don't know if any of you grew up feeling like you were kind of an outsider and the priest or the pastor or the preacher or the reverend, the rector, the whatever, he was kind of your bridge to God. And I grew up thinking I was an outsider. I grew up thinking I was a commoner. I didn't have whatever that special thing was. Well, when I was 14, a friend invited me to a meeting at another kind of a youth group type thing and from a different church, and they talked about having a personal relationship with God. And I thought, well, I'd like that. And I did, you know, what they told me to do. I, I went forward, and I prayed, and I accepted Jesus as my Savior and four years after that, right after I graduated from high school, a friend took me to a meeting, and they were praying for the sick, and I got a healing in my body. And, um, and they prayed for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I had a personal encounter. So all these things that I was experiencing, you know, my freshman year in high school, right after my senior year in high school, were drawing me into a Personal relationship with God instead of a more formal, ritualistic type of observance. I want to share with you a verse that I believe can absolutely change our lives as individuals. And it 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You're gonna see it on the screen here. Peter Uh, you know, who is Jesus' kind of leading disciple made this statement to a whole bunch of churches. Actually, they're in what today is the nation of Turkey where I'm heading on Thursday. And, And Peter said this to all Christians. He wasn't talking to some special class of Christian. He wasn't talking just to preachers. But look at what Peter says. He says, and you are living stones... That God is building into His spiritual temple. How many of you know God is building a spiritual temple? And we are the living stones that God is building into His spiritual temple. Corey Tenboom made this statement a wall with loose bricks is not good. So be joined together with other believers. We're living stones and God is taking, how many of you know to build a building out of stones, number one, you have to find the thing, then you have to dig it out, and then usually you have to knock off a bunch of rough edges, right? So the stones will fit together. Um, See, so many people say, well, I, I don't really, you know, I don't go to church, but I just have this personal relationship with God we should have a personal relationship with God but the Bible says that we are living stones that God is putting together into a spiritual temple we are to be joined with others okay and he goes on to say what's more he says you are his holy priests well that changes everything See, let's first of all go back. These people, were uh, they, they had some framework of understanding from the Old Testament. How many of you know we have a New Testament? We have the New Covenant. And sometimes we bring these Old Testament ideas into a New Covenant experience. And certainly the Old Testament is valuable. Certainly the Old Testament is important uh, but we need to understand that we have a better covenant based upon better promises. And we need to be reoriented in our perspective to understanding what changed when it went from the old to the new. In the old, they had a big building in, 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 in Jerusalem. Anybody know what that big building was called? That was the temple, Right. And the temple was this massive, beautiful, magnificent building. And that's where people would come to worship. Everything took place at this one building. And, and you know, no matter where you lived, if you were a Jewish individual, you are supposed to come back to Israel to, because there were things you could only do at that building. And one of them was offer animal sacrifices, right? How many of you are glad we don't have to offer animal sacrifices anymore? And then, but you couldn't offer it yourself because you were an outsider. Only the priest could offer up the sacrifice. You had to hand, if you were a commoner, if you were not a priest, and in order to be a priest, you had to meet certain qualifications. Number one, you had to be a man. Number two, you had to be a a physical male descendant of Aaron, Moses' brother. And you you also had to be physically flawless. You know, you couldn't have any kind of physical defect or anything of that nature. So a really, really small percentage of people got to be priests. And the priests got to do two things. They got to offer up the animal sacrifices that were given from the people. So kind of a payment for their sins, so to speak. And then... Certain priests would get specially selected to go inside the temple. Not many of them, it was very few, and they would go inside the temple. They they had a morning and an evening sacrifice, and one priest would be specially selected for that day to go into the holy place, not the holy of holies. That was only the high priest, and that was once a year. But every morning and every evening, a priest was selected to go into the holy place and burn incense on an altar with some fire. And that smoke going up would represent the praises and worship of God's people. But here's the thing. The vast majority of the people were outsiders. They couldn't come close to the temple. They had to stay away. There was some person who was a bridge Uh, A mediator for them. So Peter says this, you are his holy priests, and through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer what kind of sacrifices? Spiritual sacrifices. Again, aren't you glad you don't have to offer animal sacrifices? Spiritual sacrifices to God uh, that please God. Then Peter said four verses later, In 1 Peter 2, 9, he says, but you are a chosen generation. Stop and think about that. How many of you know the people that received that then, the people that receive it today, I don't think I'm here by accident. I don't think I'm here just random, arbitrary... I believe that God knew us before we were born, and he chose us to be born in this day and in this age. You are not an accident. I am not an accident. We are a chosen generation. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be living in this generation. You say, but don't you think the world's just coming apart at the seams? Yeah, it kind of appears so. But, but name a generation where they didn't think the world was coming apart at the seams. Go back and read newspapers from the 50s, from the 30s, from the, you know, whenever. And there, the, everybody was always talking about how bad it was. Well, are there bad things? Sure. But we have to determine, are we going to look at these days we're living in as a threat or as an opportunity? I choose to look at these days we're living in as an opportunity, not as a threat. You say, are there some threatening aspects? There have always been threatening aspects to life. But I choose to look at this generation that we're in as the greatest opportunity to share the truth of Jesus Christ... You say, but things are deteriorating. The more things are deteriorating, the more hopeless people are, the more they need what we have in the person of Jesus Christ who alone gives eternal life, who alone gives forgiveness, who alone gives hope, who alone gives purpose. I choose to look at these as days of opportunity. Opportunities, one person said this, opportunities energize the faithful and paralyze the fearful. Uh, This is a day when we need to be excited about being alive and excited about being light and salt in the earth. Peter said, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you uh, may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So what do we have here? Peter says to every Christian, you are holy priests. You are a royal priesthood. I want to talk with you this morning about your identity. Because for so many years, I just thought, well, I'm a commoner. I'm an outsider. I did not know what it, that I was a priest. I just thought, well, that's some guy in some special outfit You know, who's got some kind of special authorization from a hierarchical organization. But I didn't know that in a biblical sense, in a New Testament sense, every Christian is a priest. Every believer is part of a holy priesthood and a royal priesthood. What does that mean? Again, let's go back and look at the Old Testament a little bit for contrast. Not for definition, but for contrast. We have a picture here. We have a picture coming up on the screen. This is what um, an Old Testament priest might have looked like. You know, just it's a modern recreation in the photograph, of course. But as he went into the holy place, he would have been in the outer court where they had the brazen altar where all the animals were slain and the blood was shed and... We know that Jesus fulfilled that. The reason we don't have to do that anymore is Jesus came and he was the real Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. He was the ultimate sacrifice. All of that whole Old Testament sacrificial system was pointing to him. When Jesus died on the cross, do you remember what happened in the temple? When Jesus died on the cross there was a great earthquake And they had this curtain, this thick curtain in the temple that kept people away from the holy of holies. Do you remember what happened when that earthquake took place? That curtain was ripped from top to bottom. God was saying, I'm not staying in a private room anymore. I'm not staying excluded from the people anymore. There's no barrier any longer. When that T- when that uh, curtain, the veil of the temple, was split in two, uh, Jesus had died as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, and when He rose from the dead as our faithful High Priest, Jesus was both our sacrifice and our High Priest. Then He's now our mediator, and and the Bible says there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Now, Pastor Scott is called by God to be a pastor. But he's not your high priest. I hope nobody this morning, and Pastor Scott hopes that nobody this morning got up and said, Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus and in the name of Pastor Scott. I'm not going to ask if anybody prayed that way. I don't want to, you know. I doubt they did. Jesus is the only name you need. Pastors are called to lead the flock. They're called to teach. They're called to. They're gifted by God to do certain things. But our job as ministers, because I remember Pastor Scott, somebody once said to me, uh, way back when, when I was I was in pastoral ministry for 22 years. Somebody came to me, and I don't mean this to make fun, because I know they were desperate and panicked and fearful, and so I'm, I'm not making light. But, but I want to communicate what this person said to me. They were so upset. This person came to me and said, Brother Cook, you're my only hope. <laughs> and, I, and, and I didn't say this because it wouldn't have been nice. But I, but I thought, if I'm your only hope, you really are in trouble. Because if I'm your only hope, that means God died, Jesus isn't available, the Holy Spirit's lost His power, the Bible doesn't help, you know, things like that. So, as pastors and teachers, our job is not to be your priest, but to point you to your high priest so you can exercise your priesthood. Okay? So, yes, pastors still play an important role, but, but you have a relationship with God uh, directly through Jesus Christ. There's another picture here that we'll show you real quick, and that would have been what the high priest did. I was thinking this morning that Pastor Scott would look pretty amazing, you know, with those kind of garments, you know, uh, just definitely so. But, um, you know, that's, the high pr- the, that's not the high priest, that's the priest going into the holy place On behalf of the people. Now, can we still pray for one another? Absolutely. Should we pray for one another? Absolutely. But here's the good news about your priesthood you can go into the presence of God yourself. Let me give you a definition of what priesthood is. This is uh, when I I shared this message, Miss Pam, uh, a while back in um, Colorado, and my wife was back at the book table. And she saw two, two little old ladies came walking by. Uh, they were in their mid to late 80s and just sweet and, you know, and, and uh, she heard the one lady say to the other, she said, well, I've gone to church all my life and I didn't know till today that I was a priest. So I want you to know you're a priest. You're not a commoner. You're not an outsider. It doesn't make you better than anybody else. We, we, you, we, you and I didn't become priests because of how wonderful we are. We became priests because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. So let's look at this next slide. The next slide tells us what priesthood is. Let's take a look at that. The priesthood of the believer means that we all, everybody say all, We all have the privilege, say privilege. We all have the privilege of accessing the presence of God, the blessings of God, as well as the responsibility of sharing and conveying those blessings with others. See, priesthood really is what takes us out of the realm of of being an outsider. Now, I skipped a couple slides. I apologize, guys, to the tech room. Let's, let's go back a couple slides to the one about Zechariah. It's the one where the... Yeah, there it is. You remember Zechariah in the Old Testament? Uh, he's actually right before the birth of Jesus. Um, he was the father of John the Baptist. And you remember the story, you know, right before Mary, uh, you know, conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus... Six months before that, uh, Elizabeth became pregnant uh, with John the Baptist. And, of course, that was uh, with her husband, Zechariah. But Zechariah was a priest, and it says, One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot. See, you had to to be selected to go into the temple. He was chosen by Lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood where? Stood outside praying. See, that's the story of the Old Testament. Somebody else had to represent you before God. Everybody else was an outsider. But Jesus changed all of that. Everything changed when Jesus died, was rose from the, raised from the dead, etc. Let's look at something John said, the Apostle John. John said that he, Jesus, has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. So we have both the Apostle uh, Peter and the Apostle John's telling us outright that we are priests. I want you to turn to somebody nearby you and just say, did you know that you're a priest? Just tell them that. Did you know that you're a priest? That means that you have the privilege of accessing the presence and the blessings of God, as well as the responsibility of representing Him and sharing those blessings with other people. Now, there are many verses in the New Testament that communicate priesthood without ever using the word priest. And when you understand the Old Testament system, and you understand that in the New Testament there's still a priesthood, but it's a radically different priesthood, all of a sudden there are certain verses in the New Testament that are going to take on a whole new meaning to you. Look at this next verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 14 and 15. This is something Paul said, to, again, to an entire church. He said, now he, God, uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. Now let me ask you a question. This may take, take some of us back to our before Jesus days. Okay? How many of you have ever been in a smoke-filled room that was not the temple? <laughs> okay? Maybe before you n- knew the Lord, you were in a pool hall, you were in a uh, casino, you were in a gambling, whatever. You were in a you know, place that you know, just all kinds of things going on uh, of which worship was not one. I, I shared this, Pastor Scott, just a few weeks ago with a pastor, and he he told me, uh, he, he said, you know, before I was saved, he said, uh, my brothers and I used to we just smoked marijuana all the time, and he said, um, uh, we we one time we were in a room, and he said the room was just thick with smoke, and and we walked out, and and uh, a little bit later I found, you know, talked to my mom, and she said. Where have you been? What have you been doing? He's said, oh, nowhere. No. And, and he said, I, I was around it so much, I didn't even know that it was just completely saturating everything. Well, when the Old Testament priest was in the presence of God and the, all that natural incense was there, his clothing, his beard, I mean, every fiber of his being would have been permeated and saturated with Uh, The the aroma of that incense. And Paul brings this into the New Testament and says, now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ. The knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. You know, there's something spiritual that happens when you are in the presence of God. When you, there, there's something that happens to you. I don't know if you ever sense, you know, I don't mean to make this real spooky or whatever, but but people carry a certain atmosphere spiritually speaking. I mean, even just if, if somebody's just constantly full of self-pity and Horrible, self-defeating talk and, and negativity. How many of you know when you get around that person, you can, you can kind of sense that around them? But, but somebody that's full of joy and full of hope and full of optimism, they carry, there's some kind of atmosphere, some kind of presence that they carry. And Paul said that as believers, our lives should be such that we carry an atmosphere of, of God himself, the fragrance of Christ uh, that, that we carry. So I want to talk to you about five things very simply. We may just get to three of them this morning. Maybe we'll get to all five. We'll just see how the time goes. But I want to, I want to share with you three things, five things that, that we do that are priestly, That can be part of our daily Christian life. How many of you know the Bible doesn't just say we become priests when we walk into church on Sunday? We are a kingdom of priests. We are holy priests. We are a royal priesthood. That's something that's 24-7. Number one, we function as priests when we offer our very selves including our bodies, to God. There is still a sacrificial system in the New Testament. You know, in the Old Testament system uh, was a natural sacrifice. There were prescribed regulatory uh, rules that determined what time of the year you had to go to Jerusalem, what kind of offering you had to offer up, But we'll just say that it was a common practice that you would have to go on a somewhat regular basis to the temple. And when you went to the temple, you did not go empty-handed. Based on your economic status, if if you were very low on the socioeconomic rung, you might just have to bring a turtle dove. But you would hand it to the priest... And the priest would kill that animal. The blood would be drained. It would be put on an altar and sacrificed for you. If you were a little bit well, more well off, you might bring a lamb or a goat. If you were really wealthy, you might have to bring a heifer to be offered up as a sacrifice. How many of you are glad you didn't have to get a, an animal ready for church this morning? And there's Pastor Scott at the back door with his big knife and, you know, ready to just, you know, that type of thing. We don't have to do that. But there's still a sacrifice. We offer, what does this say? We offer our very selves, including our bodies, to God. Let's look at this verse that follows. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, many people have read this verse dozens and dozens of times and never realized that this is a priestly verse. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer your bodies to God. Now, it's one thing with you, you know, when you offer an animal to God, that's kind of impersonal. But when you have to offer your body to God, that gets real personal. You offer your body to God as a living sacrifice, not a dying sacrifice, a living sacrifice. What does that mean? It means that the philosophy of the world that says this is my body. I can do with my body what I want to do with my body. That means that's not true for the believer. This is not my body. Jesus went to the cross spirit, soul, and body. He suffered the consequences of all of our sin on the cross spirit, soul, and body. He rose from the dead in the entirety of his being, spirit, soul, and body, so that he could purchase us for God in the entirety of our being, spirit, soul, and body. My body is not my own anymore. I was bought with a price. And Paul told us in another place, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which belong to God. My body belongs to God. That means, you know what that means practically speaking? I don't get to say with my mouth everything I think I want to say with my mouth. This mouth is to glorify God and to edify other people. I don't get to take this hand and smack somebody or steal stuff. This hand belongs to God. It's to be used as He says my body is to be used. That means my hands are to worship God and to reach out in friendship or assistance to help others. You know, my feet, I don't get to go where I want to go. These feet belong to God. This these eyes belong to God. I don't get to look at whatever these eyes want to look at. I get to look at people through the lens of God's love and God's kindness and God's mercy. These ears don't get to listen to, you know, these ears are not a, a garbage dump. These ears are to listen to the word of God and to, you know, hear other people and you know in in good communication and things like that. The common English Bible says of Romans 12 verse 1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. So the first thing we do as a priest is we offer a sacrifice. What is it? It's a sacrifice of our very lives. The entirety of who we are. Number two, we function as priests when we worship, praise, and pray. We function as priests when we worship, praise, and pray. Didn't you enjoy the worship earlier? It's beautiful worship, wonderful presence of God during that time. You know, somebody could have come in from the outside, and somebody said, well, what are they doing? And that person might say, well, they're singing songs. Do you know, how many of you know we were doing more than singing songs? We were worshiping God. When we pray, when we worship, when we praise, it's a priestly function. The priest of the Old Testament would stand there. The incense would be placed on the altar. And the priest would stand there with his arms upraised. And that smoke from the incense would ascend in the tabernacle or temple, whichever you know, situation it was. And it was ascending, symbolizing the prayers and the praise and the worship of God's people. Now David, King David, was not a priest. How many of you, did anybody know what tribe he was from? He was from the tribe of Judah. He was not from the tribe of Levi or the descendant of Aaron. So David wasn't a priest. But look what David said in Psalm 141. He said, Let my prayer be as the evening sacrifice that burns like fragrant incense, rising as my offering to you, as I lift up my hands in surrendered worship. Isn't that beautiful? Even David, who was not a priest, was recognizing that his prayers were like the, the praise and the worship that was taking place in the temple. It was like holy incense rising up to God. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, Paul said, well, Paul. we assume Paul wrote Hebrews, It says, therefore, by him, by Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. What does he call uh, praise? He calls it the sacrifice of praise. I used to think, and maybe, I don't know, maybe it means this somewhat, but I used to think when I heard the term, let's offer the sacrifice of praise to God, I thought that meant, well, you really don't want to do it because you don't feel like it. So just praise God anyway. But it's really probably not that, that's probably not the primary meaning. A sacrifice was something that was offered to God in, in devotion and obedience. And... Um, You know, maybe sometimes you have to praise God when you don't feel like it. But I'm not sure that's the the primary meaning there. But when we praise God, that is the sacrifice of the priests of the New Testament. Number three, we function as priests when we serve. We function as priests when we serve. You know, one thing I know about a great church like this is as much as I respect and appreciate Pastor Scott and appreciate Pastor Larry and Pam and all they did in laying the foundation here over many years, a great church does not become that because of simply somebody who's a good leader. Uh, it, It happens because a whole bunch of people pitch in and say, I'll help. It happens because a whole bunch of people say, what can I do to contribute? It happens when people recognize, I may not be called to preach behind a pulpit, but I, I, I really like to serve people through all these, you know, there's people that serve in music, there's people that serve in media, uh, there's ushers, there's greeters, there's parking lot people, there's people that clean the building, uh, there's people, thank God, that take care of the children, not just take care and babysit, but they minister to the children, they teach the children, they lead the youth. Um, they, they visit people that need visitation. Thank God for the people that prepare food and people with gifts of hospitality. And, and um, I always hate get going on these because I'm going to forget somebody, but, but everybody that does something to make the church effective and, and carry out the love of Jesus either to the outside world or just edifying and encouraging within, uh, that's what makes a church great. People who serve. Jesus said, if you want to be great, be a servant of all. And, uh, and I know a church like this doesn't exist because just, you know, Pastor Scott preaches great messages. That's, you know, thank God for the preached Word of God. But it takes a lot of people rolling up their sleeves and doing cleaning the building. You know, all these different things that, that are part of the church. We function as priests... When we serve, we don't want to see people serving because they're guilt-tripped into it. We want to see people serving because they love God and, and because they love people. And, and it's when service is done out of acts of devotion, a heart of devotion, that's when the priestly element of serving really comes in. Let me share this with you. In, in John chapter 12, verse 3, our next scripture, It says, Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. Look at that again. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume, And by the way, we find out a few verses later that this perfume was so valuable that it would have taken a year's worth of wages to purchase this. This was exotic. This was extravagant. This was, you know, this was not uh, something you would just buy at, you know, the corner store. This would have come from a distant land. It would have been a rare exotic blend it would have taken a year's salary or a year's worth of wages to purchase this and she took it and she poured it on Jesus feet wiping his feet with her hair the house was filled with the fragrance people got mad at her for doing that i think it was judas who said why this waste this could have been sold and given to the poor and the bible says he didn't care about the poor he just he liked to embezzle from the funds and and that's why he was upset about it but but can we talk about this a minute this this why why is this included and why am i bringing it up in the context of priestly service there's priestly mary was not a priest okay back then You know, only the male descendants of Aaron could be priests. Today, every believer can function as a priest. But there's priestly language here. The house was filled with the fragrance. That's priestly language. But what really happened here? Let's talk just for a minute. In the Middle East, what was basic hospitality? In the first century. The Middle East today, just like it was then, is dry, dusty. When you walked and you had sandals on your feet, and you walked a few miles to the house of a friend, when you showed up, you're pretty grubby. And Hospitality 101. Today... Somebody shows up at your house on a hot summer day, you might offer them lemonade or you might offer them iced tea. Back then, when somebody showed up at your house, there, you had a servant and you had a basin of water. And you had a towel. And the servant would wash the feet of the guest and that was basic hospitality. That was hospitality 101. What Mary did was not basic hospitality. What she did was extravagant. She didn't use a basin. She had a bottle. She didn't have water. She had expensive perfume. She didn't have a towel. She used her hair. What she did was a picture of servanthood on steroids it was not basic it was extravagant she anointed Jesus feet with oil that cost a year's salary and and she wiped it off with her with her hair the house was filled with the fragrance but guess what Mary's hair her garment she probably carried that fragrance for weeks what made it special was it was an act of devotion do you know there are people and I have to include myself in this I have to be so careful because if we're not careful we will just go through the motions of serving God we'll do it ritualistically instead of doing it from the heart How many of you want to hear Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? How many of you want rewards when you get to heaven? We we should. And yet Paul said, if we give everything that we have to the poor, and even give our bodies to be burnt as a martyr, but we don't have love, it profits us nothing think, Lord, how many times did I do something just because I was expected to do it? And I wasn't doing it, Lord. I'm doing this because I love you. I'm doing this for a person, not because I'm expected to. But, Lord, I want to show your love to this person. Boy, we have to get back to our root motives. We function as priests when we serve. You say, well, if Jesus came to town, well, I'd... I'd take him to the best restaurant. and Yeah, that's, that's nice, you know, to kind of... But you know what? Jesus physically physically probably isn't coming to town, you know, for a while. So how do we do this? Jesus said, inasmuch as you've done this for the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. So when you're a greeter and you hold the door for somebody... It's like you're holding the door for Jesus. When you serve the kids in in a class setting or vacation Bible school or on a youth retreat or something like that, you're doing it for Jesus. When When you bake for the church picnic and you do it because you love God and you just want to bless the people, it's like you're doing it for Jesus. We function as priests. When we serve, let's look at one more verse, Hebrews thirteen sixteen. In the Message version, says, "Make sure you don't take things for granted, and go slack in working for the common good." How many of you know we need to work for the common good? We don't just come to church to see what we can get. We need to come to church, say, "God, make me a blessing." Help me establish good relationships so I can pray for others, encourage others, help other people. Make sure you don't take things for granted and go slack in working for the common good. Share what you have with others. God takes, look at this, God takes particular pleasure in acts of worship. A different kind of sacrifice that take place in kitchen and workplace and on the streets. These are sacrifices, acts of worship. If we would understand this, I believe it would absolutely revolutionize our our mindset. We would still come together uh, joyously on Sunday morning because the Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We would understand that church is not the only place where sacrifices take place where acts of worship take place, that our entire life, we we are priests unto God, and you're on call and on duty 24-7. That means every word you speak should should carry the presence of God. Uh, Every action you take, uh, just, you know, everything that we do is a priestly function unto God. So we don't have our you know, our church behavior and then our, whew, now we're out of church, now we can, you know. No, we're on call. We're, we're a priest unto God all the time. We have the privilege of accessing the presence and the blessings of God through Jesus. We have one mediator. And we have the responsibility of conveying those blessings and those uh good things. We, we represent God when, when we're with people. We represent God to, uh, to others. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this church. Thank you for Pastor Scott. Thank you for all the leadership. Thank you for everybody that serves. Father, I, I just thank you that this, you're building a spiritual temple. It's more than just this building. Uh, Lord, it's it's the lives, it's the hearts, it's the attitudes, it's the, the devotion, it's the obedience, it's the servants' hearts of your people, it's their worship, it's their praise, it's their consecration. Lord, help us to be a spiritual temple that really does offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. Father, I just want to pray right now, if there are people here, maybe people watching online, if there are people... That, that do not know you, Jesus, as Savior, that do not know you as Lord. I pray that today would be a day of decision. I pray that today would be a day of people opening their hearts and saying, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I put my faith and I put my trust in you. I, I want to lead us in a prayer. There are people watching online. There may be people here present that you just you've never said yes to Jesus before. Maybe you're like I was as a kid growing up. I mentally believed in Jesus. I mentally believed in God. I mentally believed in the Bible. But if you had said, Tony, do you have a relationship? Well no, I don't have a relationship, but I believe in him. God's inviting all of us into relationship. And if you're watching online, maybe you've been away from God. Maybe you've been out doing your own thing. And you just need to re- rededicate your life. Come back to God today. I want to lead us in a prayer of saying yes to Jesus. I know the vast majority of people in here, you've already said yes to Jesus. You're loving Him. You're serving Him. You're trusting Him. But, but I'll tell you, the, the, the greatest moment of anybody's life is when somebody who's never said yes to Jesus says yes to him. As a matter of fact, the Bible says when one person comes to God, there's joy in heaven. How many of you believe that? Let's, for the sake of anybody here today that's never accepted Jesus, for the sake of people online, that today is your day of decision, let's pray this prayer. Let's pray it with them. To encourage them. Say this with me. Say dear God. I thank you. That you love me. You love me so much. That you sent Jesus. To die on the cross for me. We've all sinned. We've all come short of your standard. We've all needed forgiveness. So we thank you that Jesus took care of that. We thank You that His precious blood was shed to cleanse us. And, and we thank You that Jesus did not stay dead. But God, You raised Him up. Jesus is alive. He's offering me forgiveness, acceptance, eternal life. Jesus I put my trust in you. I give you all of my life, all of my heart, my whole self, I give to you. I turn away from my old life, from doing my own thing. I surrender myself to you. God, help me to live for you and honor you all the days of my life in Jesus name and everybody said Amen Amen. Amen. Well God bless you I'm going to tonight I'm going to finish those two last points so you know all five things that we do that are priestly. What's the first thing? The first thing we do as a priest we offer our lives including our bodies to God. Secondly we we Worship God when we praise, pray, and worship. Thirdly, we function as priests when we serve. I'm going to give you the other two tonight, and then we're going to do a whole an, an additional lesson. That one part will just take a couple minutes. We're going to talk more about your priesthood and more about what it means to represent God in the earth. Would you give your pastor a great hand of love and appreciation as Pastor Scott comes?